the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson, and we have arrived to NFL Draft Week. And so as NFL franchises across the country are testing their Zoom capabilities, their bandwidth, and reportedly not quite understanding how to uh, get a call muted Um, or your line muted on the conference call, Uh, we joined, we are very, very accustomed to this, uh, this, this digital landscape, this digital conversation, uh, Barton, Tom, there, there's a lot that we, uh, we've talked about getting to today. I I look at this honestly as a sort of a, a last chance for us to, talk about some of these players in a way that we are covering them to share some of our expertise. I think that we've all had, uh, working for 24 seven sports, working for CBS sports, a lot of involvement in the NFL draft, a lot to, uh, you know, get to there. But, you know, as, as we hit a, a very like newsy week of real sports news, how's, uh, how's everybody feeling? Uh, I feel okay. <clears throat> I used to dream about scout, my four-year-old being a future WNBA player at this point, I've just decided we're going to shoot for movie critic. Cause we just planted her in front of the TV for like the better part of the last week. So it's, uh, it's getting a groundhog's day in our house. I'm excited for the draft though. That's, that's why this is a great week coming up because we actually have something of note to dig into. I thought you were going to be like, I, I once dreamt of Scout being a WNBA player. Now all I care about is that she moves out when she's 18. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably more accurate. We may send her to boarding school at six. Great. <laughs> there's, there's, there's absolute uh, mind games, like, like mental warfare going on in this house right now. It's, um, it's scary. I mean, is it is it just dominance planting the seeds of dominance as the family is about to expand? I mean, is it that deep? You think? Uh, I think it's well. It's a we have a two year old, right? And so I think she's like the two year old. The two year old is like kind of an angel. Like her, like mom basically likes. I like Scout better because Scout's kind of a hellion. Mom likes the two year old better, and Scout's can sense it. And, uh, and so she's already battling for superiority there. And now, you know, there's got a baby in belly. Like there's probably some, some, some of that in there. Like, oh. We got some long, like we got a lot of therapy bills to come in this house. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, as like, let's, let's start here. 
Barton, you were a part of the NFL draft desk last year in Nashville. You had the NFL draft that arrive in all of its, um, you know, uproarious glory uh, on Broadway, taking over the streets. It was a, a local event as much as it was a fascinating event to cover from the sports perspective. Tom, you've covered it in Chicago. I've covered the the event in New York City. It, I like. What are some of the aspects of the NFL draft that that draw you the most to the event itself? Well, I think one element of it that's going to suck is just there's no there's no booing of the commissioner. There's no random shot of Jets fans with their hands in their head saying, who the hell is this guy? There's no, like, that's part of what makes the draft fun is just the, I mean, Nashville last year was insane. Just total, like, bananas. And Vegas, I'm sure, would have been off the charts as well. I mean, that's pretty, that, that's pretty definitive of what the draft is, is just, just a fan geek out session. And kind of kind of sucks we don't get that this year. See, I'm the opposite. I'm looking forward to it without all the pomp and circumstance. I, I, I think that in the last few years, it's become too much of a television event where it gets like, you know, they started by moving the first round to Thursday night and then turning it into like a three-day thing, which I was like, I, I was never a big fan of because I enjoy it, but I always enjoyed it on like that Saturday, Sunday to take up the whole weekend and you can just focus on it instead of breaking it down into three separate days of having to, you know, put your life on whatever and especially that first night because you look so forward to it and I love the whole draft so that first night when it finally shows up and then it's just the first round and then it's over and it's like oh, oh it's kind of a letdown for me so that clearly is still the same format that they're doing this year but I'm actually happy that it's going to be slimmed down as much as possible with the way they're doing it granted it could be a little instead of fans booing it could be people's internet and wifi going out which could lead to fun but I'm I'm looking forward to a more simplistic, straightforward draft of just players being taken because I mean it's the fans and the atmosphere and all that stuff is fun. Don't get me wrong, but I I'm interested in seeing who goes where and seeing which picks I disagree with or p- picks I agree with, and that way I could deem teams are smart or stupid afterwards. Ah, uh, are you gonna do grades or anything uh, for CBS Sports? No. I will tweet vociferously <laughs> at Tom Fernelli on Twitter. See, I'm I fall short. I gave up on trying to really get my arms around team needs and a couple years ago, and it led me to probably more of a, a position by position analysis of the draft. So, you know, whether or not teams made the smart or stupid decision is a little bit difficult for me in terms of the you know what they needed to bolster their roster and so I go very very you know plain level you know when, when I see uh, a wide receiver taken before the wait, all right I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, get it rolling if Henry Ruggs goes before Jerry Judy I'm going to think that that is uh, not a pick that I agree with if um, we see Cesar Ruiz go before Andrew Thomas then that is going to be a pick that uh, I I disagree with. So I feel like I'm coming at this uh, from a very player by player perspective. I definitely have feel like I'm saying goodbye. It feels a little bit like graduation, where I'm just mm-hmm. we we spent all this time covering these players. We've turned in 
Like, uh, and for Barton, even for you, you know, you scouted them in high school. We, we covered them in college. I just turned in a, a, a 3000 word top 32 prospect ranking assignment for cbsports.com. Like it felt as I turned that in as like, all right, well, goodbye, Clyde Edwards, Elayer. Goodbye. Um, Kenneth Murray, goodbye, Chase Young. Like I, I just, I packed up all of my thoughts and all of my analysis into this boat and I'm just drifting it off to the other side of the river to the NFL Island. And while I will come back around as I'm, I've got red zone on in the background or, you know, as I'm going through my fantasy drafts and, and spending way too much money in the auction draft, taking rookies that I miss already. Like this definite, this week definitely feels like a end of the school year graduation type moment uh, for the way that I approach these football players. Yeah. And, and, but at the same time, this, it's always really hard for me to grade these drafts and feel confident in that grade because, and it's different because I, that, that could be maybe hypocritical considering I come from like a, a recruiting background where we rank the classes and we rank the players and we make judgments on signing day. But I feel like that is a little, like recruiting is to me is all about like playing the numbers. Like did you get, were you able to land a bunch of guys that I think were really good because if you did, then all of them aren't going to be really good. But if you landed more that I think are going to be really good than everyone else, a few of them probably will. You, you probably got a pretty good shot. Whereas NFL draft, everyone's sort of on the equal footing. And I, I never feel confident being like, this team had a good draft, this team had a bad draft. Like They all got the players they wanted in that spot. They're not out recruiting anyone for anyone else. So th- that's always a difficult exercise for me to like try to actually decide who's, who, who had good drafts. Um, so I'm sure I'll be asked to do that again this year in some capacity and I'll, I'll spit something out, but I'm never comfortable with it. Yeah, that, that's difficult to do right away. And there really is no way to know until like at least four or five years out usually. But I, I try sometimes when I, to grade more as a strategy or game theory type of way, like why I don't understand what a team is doing. Or if I think that, you know, in a vacuum with the knowledge that we have now, what we know, I think it's a mistake. So like, for example, you two did a mock draft on HQ before we started recording. And CBS senior NFL reporter Jonathan Jones was one of the people in the draft. He was drafting for the Dolphins. He got Herbert at number five, which cool. He took him over to it. That's fine. If that's who you prefer, the quarterback failed you at five. You didn't have to move up. But later in the draft, he moves up from 18 to 15, giving up a third round pick in the process so he could draft Xavier McKinney. Now, when I saw this live, I was like, that's a horrible decision, a horrible trade, because A, there's a very good chance McKinney is going to drop to you at 18. So why would you give up a pick to move up and get a safety that you're probably going to get? Because for me, that's that kind of philosophy is I'm not trading up for a safety unless I'm convinced he is a special player. Now, maybe Jonathan is convinced Xavier McKinney's a special player, but even so, one of his reasonings for making the move was, well, I have the Dolphins have so many picks. They're not going to use them. They're going to have to trade some of them to move up at some point. And that's good. That is a perfectly logical thing that is likely going to happen. But why would you trade your third rounder to move up three spots to take a safety when you could have moved your third rounder along with your 18th pick and maybe a couple other late round picks to move up to get one of those tackles that the Dolphins desperately need. So that's the kind of game theory kind of thing I grade when I'm watching the NFL draft. Next level, bro. 
All right, so w- what about those quarterbacks? Um, the, the Is this a two of smokescreen situation? Are teams really uh, – or are teams really concerned about the health such that they are willing to ignore a player who has been, as a starting quarterback, almost nothing but spectacular among the most efficient players uh, that we've seen in the last 10 years – and, and leave that to the side and instead take a take, take a flyer on a Jordan Love or perhaps uh, you're going with the physical talents of Justin Herbert. Are NFL teams getting this quarterback situation wrong? I think that Herbert can definitely go before Tua. I do not buy that like a Jordan Love or somebody of that effect is going to go before Tua because I do think – that the injury concerns are significant. We can't look past the fact that Tua had the severe hip injury last year, but even before that, he's had the ankle problems he's dealt with. He's had concussion. So these are things when you're when you're investing this much into a guy that's supposed to be your franchise, you know, yeah, you have to consider these risks. But like you said, Chip, when he's healthy, when he's playing, of the quarterbacks in this class, the only two guys I am confident will be good NFL players, assuming health, are Tua and Joe Burrow. And I think Tua is the only quarterback in this class who has like the ceiling of being a Patrick Mahomes type of player. Now, spoiler alert, in an article I have coming out on Tuesday, you know, every year I do my quarterback ratings based on how they performed in college. I look at how they did against top 50 defenses in S&P Plus. I look at how they did in third and long situations. I look at how they did in the red zone because I think those are three areas that are more translatable to future success in the NFL than most other things. And I have a mathematical formula that I've been doing since 2012 to spit out these numbers to give me scores for these computers. Two is the number one quarterback in the 2020 class on this rating, and he's not just the number one quarterback in the class. He's the highest scoring quarterback I've done since I started doing this in 2012, and not by a slim margin. Andrew Luck in 2012, his score was 9.75% better than his class's average. Tua's is 13.72% better. So he's like a full four points ahead of Luck. To, to put that in perspective, that's pretty much the difference between luck at two and the number 13 all-time score in Jared Goff. That's how much better Tua is than Andrew Luck and anybody else in the, my history of doing this. So, yeah, if Tua is healthy, if he did not hurt his hip this year, if, the, if he'd had one ankle injury and that was it, there's no doubt in my mind he'd be the number one pick in this draft. It's They weren't tanking for Burrow to start the year. That wasn't the hashtag. It was tank for Tua, and it was tank for Tua for a reason. Interesting. So you so you couldn't have had a better season than Joe Burrow had this year, though. No, but you got to keep in mind my rankings take all of your career. Right. Okay. So the, the first year at LSU and the first two years at Ohio State go in, and – <laughs> that that dragged him down a little bit, but yeah, no. It Burrow's one of those things where the ratings aren't exactly fair to because he's one of those dudes who not only got into a better situation as a senior, but he improved greatly as a senior, which you know is something that happens for players that I think we often overlook or ignore the possibility of. So I, that's why I think him and Tua are the only two guys I'm really confident in being good NFL quarterbacks. It's just I think Tua's ceiling if he stays healthy is 
I think that he has more arm talent and all that kind of stuff that Burrow doesn't have. Burrow does not have like great arm strength. He knows how to use the arm strength he has, but when you get to him having to throw it outside the numbers from the pocket, he doesn't really have great zip on those throws, and that could lead to some problems against NFL corners. So I understand why Tua is starting to dip a little bit. I, I could see someone taking Justin Herbert over Tua, but I am happy to go on the record and say I would, I, I would rather miss on an injury than miss on play on the field. Like Justin Herbert's play on the field is is not confidence inspiring to me. Tua's health is not confidence inspiring to me. So I'd, I'd rather just look. If, if Tua doesn't ever get healthy, if he's never the same again, then at least I've, I feel confident I, dressed, I, I drafted a great player that just didn't, it didn't work out from a health standpoint. Whereas it, with Herbert, and look, I'm not saying he's not any good. I'm just saying to, if you're going to draft him top five, I want to have a little bit of – I want to feel a little bit better about what I've seen from him. So I'm not there yet. Not yet. I'm just not there with Justin Herbert. And if he turns out to be the next great one, then I just would have missed. Um, the, what I'm – I'm kind of interested – so like you mentioned, two is the only one that could have a Mahomes type of career. You know, the other one that you can make the case for there is is Love because he's got the arm. Um, I'm also just like, so some in, in the mock draft today, uh, I can't remember who, maybe it was Brinson had the Patriots um, and they drafted Jordan Love. And if the Patriots go quarterback, wouldn't it, would it shock you guys if, if it was Jake Fromm? No. I think Jake Fromm is very much the kind of, I mean, okay, this is, <laughs> keep, please keep in mind the context of what I'm about to say, listeners, before anybody just takes the quote. I think as far as style of play and you look at their physical abilities coming out of college, I think Fromm is Brady-ish in arm strength and that kind of stuff. Woo! You know Go dogs! Go dogs! I think. Sick them. I think. I think if Belichick wants to stick to the kind of quarterback he's had and work within the system that they put around him, then Fromm makes more sense than Jordan Love does. Now, if Belichick wants to change what he does in offense, and considering this is Bill Belichick, who has shown throughout his entire career he's able to adapt to what he needs to do with anybody then maybe Jordan Love is, you know, the more enticing prospect for him. But, I mean, yeah, I, I think that Fromm is more a Belichick QB than Jordan Love is. Fromm is such the quarterback that is going to be fifth round on some boards and first round on others. Because because if you fall in love with his, his persona, leadership, intangibles, um, then he's, you know, there's just someone that's going to fall in love with that. And... I've already I've talked to people in in NFL circles and in in personnel departments that have said that Fromm crushed the interviews just like we knew he would and and so I'm just I'm just I'm very fascinated where Fromm goes particularly when you given who could be drafting and what they could be wanting 
that's what sort of struck my attention about the Jordan Love thing. And I never even thought about that until I saw him come off the board. And I was like, but that's not actually the type of guy I would envision Bill Belichick going after. It's like a turnover-prone big arm. Like I envision Bill Belichick being like, give me the smart guy that is is you know doesn't have the big arm but is going to lead my locker room after Tom Brady leaves. So I don't know. I, I've actually heard Tennessee Titans are, have got a little interest in Prom too. So I'm just uh, now I'm just intrigued at what's going to happen, um, and in particular as it relates to, sec- to to the quarterbacks because I actually think that there's a little Dak Prescott and Jalen Hurts too. I mean, Ooh. everyone talked about Jalen Hurt, uh, Dak Prescott as some raw passer that's got some athleticism. Mm-hmm. Like, and and here we are, and Jalen Hurts, yeah, like the ball's not always perfect ball placement every time he throws it, but the guy's been an incredible winner and leader everywhere he's gone and has steadily improved as a thrower. So that I think that's in play. Probably, that's probably, I don't see Hurts going in the first round, but. I could see him being a Dak Prescott-esque second-round value. And then there's Jacob Eason, who could go in the first round. Uh, if you're just talking about pure arm talent, uh, again, maybe the only other arm that's Mahomes-ish other than love is is Jacob Eason. Jacob, e- Jacob Eason, is, where's Jacob Eason going to get drafted round-wise? Is that, does he have a from-like uh, ceiling floor differential? Yeah, with as the exact opposite prospect. Like, yeah, some people are just going to get fall in love with the talent, and the talent is first round worthy. Other people are going to be like, you know what? He's not. He doesn't have the leadership. He doesn't have the intangibles. He doesn't have the production. He's a fifth round guy for us, you know. So I just think that that says second day probably. But yeah, I, it would wouldn't shock me if someone took him late first. Yeah, I think I think Fromm's got a much higher floor than Easton simply because I think from like with for all the stuff you mentioned the leadership the intangibles I think that's a dude that could be a quality backup in the NFL and a good guy to have in your quarterback room for a long time like a veteran present like you know he could Jake Fromm he might not be a great NFL player but he could become like the new Chase Daniel you know what I mean yeah the dude that's constantly getting deals everywhere because teams just want him around in case their starter gets hurt and I think that Easton is a much more volatile property in that that arm strength is going to be very enticing but he's also could just completely flame out and not be somebody that teams want to keep around past the first contract would you say barton that jalen hurts is one of the ones that you're betting on at least in terms of like you know if you do get asked to provide some kind of instant analysis if we're talking about it on radio hits on friday or over the weekend where with the right fit you would suggest that Jalen Hurts was maybe in like a better quarterback selection than blank. Who would that blank be? Um, it's uh, it's I, I hate to be a bad radio guy, but it's just so hard to me to make those black and white distinctions because it depend. It kind of depends on fit to me. It depends on what you what like what you're looking for in a quarterback. I almost think he's sort of the if you got Easton on one spectrum, which is Elite talent, uh, you know, missing the intangibles, and then you have Jake Fromm on the other end, which is mediocre talent, incredible intangibles. To me, like Jalen Hurts is somewhere in the middle where you, you you love his intangibles, his talent's there, but it's not elite as a thrower. Like, our, he's probably not a day one starter that you that you're going to get super excited about, but is he a, is he a year two starter? 
that could be really, I, you know, I don't know. I think I just think Hertz, Hertz is intriguing depending on the situation. And I've heard, you know, I, I, I interviewed Trent Dilfer for um, the social distance series, that were, the video interviews that we're doing for 24-7 Sports, and he compared Fra, or Hertz to a comparison between Tebow and um, uh, Taysom Hill. And 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 without like and still acknowledging he's a better passer than Tebow, he is a you're but, a better passer than Tebow, <laughs> right? But so like wouldn't wouldn't I don't think it was supposed to be a commentary on his passing ability, but just in terms of him being athletic, in terms of him being a incredible leader, and and then having the versatility to do some of the things that they do with Taysom Hill, uh, and yet being more advanced from a football acumen standpoint than where a Taysom Hill was at, at, at coming out of high college. So, you know, do you – is that who he is? And, and, and where does that fit on, on your draft board? Or is he just Dak Prescott, just a better quarterback that people are giving him credit for? I, I will say this as far as Hurts. I would rather take Jalen Hurts with a third-round pick than Justin Herbert with a first-round pick. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm with you. Right there with you. Mm-hmm. Especially considering – I mean – I know in our mocks it didn't happen, in a lot of mocks it doesn't happen, but I think that once the actual draft starts, you're probably going to have to trade up to get Herbert if you're one of the teams that wants him. And I to give up those kind of assets when I can get Jalen Hurts in the third or fourth round maybe even, who is a guy like, if he's in the right situation, I think he could be the third best quarterback in this class behind Burrow and Tua just because of the ceiling and just because if you get him with the right coach and in the right offense – there are a lot of things you can consider doing. I mean, let's look at what Lamar Jackson was able to do with Baltimore this year. And while Jalen's not the runner and doesn't have the speed that Lamar has, I would argue that in a lot of ways, Jalen's coming out of college with a similar ability to throw the football. So if they can refine that and just kind of keep that, you know, workhorse kind of big battering ram body that Jalen has, it's probably going to be better off to withstand the kind of hits that you'd get at the NFL level for longer than Lamar Jackson can. I think there's a very high ceiling. That said, there's also a very low floor. You could run uh, that power run game that Oklahoma ran in 2019 at the NFL level. Mm -hmm. Oh, and just like you mentioned, you know, Taysom Hill comparison from Dilfer. Imagine like Sean Payton getting his hand on Jalen Hurts and grooming him for a year or two behind Drew Brees. Yeah. I mean, look at what he's done with Taysom Hill. Now imagine what he could do with Jalen Hurts. I get that's that's like the example, I guess, where I'm not always uh, all that well versed in the draft capital, but I definitely understand. And you you said it well with the would rather ha- have Jalen Hurts as a third than Justin Herbert. I'm going to feel more comfortable about the, the the value that I'm getting versus what I'm I guess spending in terms of draft capital with a Jalen Hurts than I am with a Justin Herbert and I feel bad cause I'm just feel like I'm out here just slamming Justin Herbert, but the that's, that's where we are in the draft cycle, right? Justin Herbert's yeah. going to be a top five pick or some team's going to trade up for him and to be able to go get Justin Herbert and man, I hope, I, I hope he does well, but Justin Herbert to me was dealing with the fact that after each season, we pushed the expectations out a little bit and I don't think that he ever really exceeded them. And I don't think that he faced, uh, I don't think that he dominated in a way that you would hope that a player of that caliber would dominate. So, uh, good luck to Justin Herbert. I wanted to ask about, uh, before we hit the break, 
uh, the the wide receiver class. Is it? Do you all see this as a, a uniquely deep wide receiver class? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I especially, I mean, I think that at the top, it's ridiculous. And then I think that once you get to that second, third tier, it's still pretty darn good. And But I don't think it's like, I've seen people, you know, saying that there's like 20, 18 to 20 receivers that would be in the top 100 overall of if you were just ranking all players. I don't know that I agree with that, but I do think that with those guys at the top, you're going to be able to get somebody in the third, fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth round that's probably going to be a starter for you. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's it's a really good class. Yeah, Michael Pittman could be like a third rounder. Right. Yeah. He's, a, he's a, like, I love him. Uh, and you can, you can do that exercise with a lot of different guys. Uh, and... And and even the first round, you know, where does where does the run stop? I think there's going to be a run when the first one goes off the board between Lamb, Judy, Ruggs, maybe even Jefferson. But I'm just curious where the run stops. Like, when do people stop getting antsy to take receivers? Is is the is the cutoff point Brandon Ayuk? Is it T. Higgins? Is it Denzel Mims? Um, uh, this is just a fascinating class, especially because there's a lot of different guys that are sort of a lot of different skill sets, which I guess is pretty intuitive considering it's a, it's deep. But um, there, there's there, it, there's some fun there's some fun tools and, and, and chess pieces in this group. The thing that yeah, it, it, go ahead. I was gonna say it, it will be that's gonna be one of the more interesting things to watch is after those first three guys go, how aggressive will teams be at taking receivers? knowing how deep the class is like, will somebody be like, Oh my God, I got to get one of these guys now. Or will teams be like, all right, let's just push back and wait. We're still going to get a pretty quality guy in the second or third round. Cause like, I think that for sure lamb, Judy and rugs are going in the first, I would expect Justin Jefferson doesn't get past the Eagles if he falls that far. And then after that point, it's like, okay, how badly do these teams want receivers? Cause you could still wait to get a good one who could be like a number one, but you might, you know, you might be dealing with like a, a number two at best at that point, which is still pretty darn good for a mid-round pick. Okay, so the other part of this is why do we think that young receivers, or at least the, the sort of the first round wide receivers in the last several draft classes, haven't panned out? And is this group, which is incredible at the top and very, very deep with a lot of potential number ones, like is this going to be? Uh, I, I traced it back to 2014 was the last time that I felt like there was a, a group of wide receivers, especially at the top of the NFL draft, that feels like they stuck around. That would be Mike Evans. That would be Odell Beckham. That would be Brandon Cooks. That would be Sammy Watkins. I guess Jarvis Landry would also be uh, in that class as well. But since then, I mean, we're talking about Kevin Whites from West Virginia, Devontae Parker from Louisville. You know, we're talking about Corey Coleman from Baylor. Uh, more recently, Corey uh, Brown from – or Corey Davis from Western Michigan, John Ross from Washington. It feels like for, you know, whatever oh, – uh, for reasons that I'm trying to, you know, figure out here during this draft week, it feels like the wide receiver position, we've continually, because of, you know, off it being a passing league and, and with the offenses continuing to become more spread, more up-tempo, more multiple, the wide receivers are still getting drafted – but it's been more than a half decade since we've had a group where it feels like you've got multiple players that are really uh, digging themselves in. I guess what we look at this past year 
with the with DK Metcalf, um, with AJ Brown. Like you could maybe say that that group is starting to change that narrative a little bit. Like why haven't wide receivers, especially ones drafted in the first round, like why has the NFL been wrong about that position? I think it's because they haven't really caught up until the last few years as far as offenses. Like they were seeing these guys put up these amazing numbers in college offenses and then testing well, you know, running fast. But like we saw, <clears throat> especially when spread and air raid kind of offenses took over, is a lot of these guys at the college level aren't really being asked to learn very complicated offenses. They're not being asked to run, you know, full route trees. But I think that NFL offenses are now more closely resembling what we've seen at college for the last, you know, decade or so. So now it's becoming easier for them to project them going forward. And I just think that overall, I mean, if you look like last year, there wasn't a receiver taken before 25. In 2018, the first receiver taken was DJ Moore at 24. Now in 2017, we had Corey Davis, Mike Williams, and John Ross go in the top 10. I would argue that none of those three have been worthy Agreed. of being top 10 picks. Right. Yeah. But before that, the last top 10 pick in the draft had been Amari Cooper and Kevin White. Now, one of those two turned out to be very good. Kevin White dealt with injuries. Who knows what he could have been? So I think that really this is just one of those years where the talent level is insane. And with offenses in the NFL catching up to college, I think it's kind of like a perfect storm where it used to be like, you would draft a running back, and that was the one position where you would there was like the least bit of acclimation from college to the pro. Now, there's still a large jump from college to the pro for receivers, but I think that gap is closing quickly, and these are guys that are going to be able to comp- you know, compete and be competitive and contribute a lot quicker than maybe they had just as early as three or four years ago. Yeah, I'm just uh... – I don't know. I think I think offensive coordinators in the league maybe are a little bit more equipped to utilize to to to, to cater offenses to to talent, to skills, to uh, to the personality of the receiver. I, I, I mean, I'm just sort of thinking about like like Henry Ruggs, for example. I think there's probably would be a time like Ruggs is a a little bit of a linear athlete like he's he's very straight line he's he's a little bit tighter in his movements than than certainly than a Jerry Judy or or, or Justin Jefferson or maybe even a CD Lamb um, but he's tough he's fast as hell and i think so i think you look at Henry Ruggs and you say all right Whoever's drafting him, are you planning on just putting him out at wide receiver and letting him run your route tree? Or or do you have a plan similar to the way Kansas City used Terry Kill, even though you could probably use Henry Ruggs in, in a more diverse way? Do you have a plan for how he fits? Like, do you have a plan for how Jerry Judy fits? I think that these guys at the top of the board are dynamic enough and versatile enough to where it's I don't really think that they're going to be busts. I've, I've, I'm sure I've been wrong before and uh, making a statement like that. But like when you think about some of those receivers you listed off, you rattled off, they were they were either big and and not very athletic, or they were small and you know not not a lot more than a speed guy. Like this group feels complete, and so. 
with that, like I, I just for some reason I just feel like this is a and, and again, I, I think you could make a case Henry Ruggs is probably the more the, the least multidimensional of the group. But he's his his one dimension that's so good is better than everybody's that I think as long as you're using him properly, he's gonna be really successful. I would take Ruggs ahead of T. Higgins, but I would take him behind Judy and C D Lamb. Did you take him ahead of Justin Jefferson? I don't think so. I think I might take Justin Jefferson. Hmm. I think Ruggs, yeah. I think it's just so where I where did I hear this? Um that the Kansas City Chiefs are gonna try to trade up to get him and just be nothing but speed everywhere. Well, that wasn't what I was gonna say. But it's it was worked like well a, for him so far. Yeah, right. Like a defensive coordinator once said, like when he's preparing for another for another team he like good route runners good space players don't scare him what scares him is speed because ultimately if you're getting behind the defense that's a problem if you are stretching your defense and stressing them vertically that's that, that that's tough to deal with you can you can handle stuff that happens underneath you but it's it's a it's a tip tricky to scheme for someone that can can stress you vertically in a way that others can't and so i just think that rugs is so unique in that his vertical speed is like special and so i'm just I, I'm, I'm really fascinated at his career arc in the nfl love barton loves the track guys <laughs> i don't i don't <laughs> but what i like about rugs because i actually picked I think CD like if I'm just ranking the receivers, I think CD Lance probably my number one guy at the receiver position. But you know, even today on the mock draft, I picked uh, CD Lamb. I was the Raiders, and I picked CD Lamb. And Prisco gave me like a B or something for my. And he mentioned that he liked rugs the best. And and I mentioned how so many busts have happened by taking guys that are speed players. And he made made the point that rugs isn't is tough. I think I actually f- agree with that point wholeheartedly. I think Ruggs is not your everyday just track guy. I think he is a tough, competitive receiver with great ball skills. He is linear in terms of the way he moves, but if you can find, like, again, I think it's all about embracing how to use him. Coming up on the other side, some of our favorite prospects in the 2020 NFL Draft class. These are the names that you want to know and you want your favorite team to draft them next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or 
Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, let's start on the uh, the fun, uplifting side of this, The turning into the hype man. The Flavor Flaves for our favorite Chuck D's. Uh, Tom, who's a, who's a prospect that you feel like you are much higher on than the average consensus? Uh, we, we discussed Jake Fromm. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. <laughs> considering things Go Dogs! <laughs> I mean, I we're, the, Jake Fromm is... taken him months ago. Yeah, Jake Fromm's breaking stay-at-home curfews to pull his pickup truck up and break into a high school to go get these reps. You don't have commitment like that from your favorite quarterback. <laughs> but to, to go to positions we haven't discussed yet, uh, one running back I like a lot that I, you know, I don't see getting taken early, like whether you're using mock drafts or like mock draft simulators, or you're just looking at overall player rankings. I think Anthony McFarland Jr. out of Maryland is going to be a good, useful player, at least on special teams in the NFL. He's just got, like you mentioned, Barton, the one thing that defensive coordinators don't like dealing with is speed. And he has that. And I feel like he was underutilized a bit in that Maryland offense last few years. And while I don't think his pass blocking is to the level where he's going to be somebody that's going to be able to be a three down back right away. And I think that'll probably limit his career in the NFL. I think that's a guy who after like those top backs go, you know, the Dobbins, the Swifts, the Clyde Edwards, Hilaire's, the Jonathan Taylor's. I think this is a guy you could get in a late round, like a fifth, sixth or seventh round that will be a useful part of your offense if you can figure out how to use him right. And then a couple other guys on offense. I like UCF's Gabriel Davis at receiver again. A very deep receiver class, and I think that's causing him to be overlooked a bit too much. I think this is a guy who could be a solid number two for a lot of NFL teams. He could prove to be a very good, you know, red zone threat at the very least. But he's also he's he's shown an ability in college to get vertical and beat guys deep. At tight end, I love UCLA's Devin Asiasi, who I think in the modern NFL, he's not gonna be a guy that you're gonna be putting in line to block. But you're going to line him out a little bit at the Y, and I think that he's got a lot of potential to be something good there. And on the other side of the ball, just dudes who I've noticed more, Bradley and I at Utah, I think, is a guy that coming off the edge in a 4-3 could be a very productive player. Not like a pro bowler, but a solid NFL starter for years to come. And a cornerback I like that I didn't really notice until... I was digging because I never saw him play a ton, but digging into like data and stats at SIS trying to, you know, just to, to look stuff up. Amick Robertson from Tulsa. He's a tiny guy. Wait, you mean or from no, Louisiana not, Tech? Not from Louisiana Tech. Oh, yeah. Amick Robertson. I mean, he had five interceptions last year, but when you just look underneath it, like the analytics, his QBR against was 32.01. And among corners that, you know, had at least 30 balls thrown at them last year. That ranks sixth behind Trevon Diggs, who was number one, Caleb Farley, who could easily be a first round pick next year. He could, he might have been a first round pick this year had he left Virginia Tech, and Ahmad Gardner and Luke Barku at San Diego State. He was behind those guys, but it's just 
you look at his numbers and, you, and then I started paying more attention to him and reading up on him. I think this is a dude who could be a very good nickel corner for somebody. And we have seen in the NFL with the way that passing offenses are evolving, the nickel corner position is becoming one of the more important positions on any defense. You need somebody who could cover in that spot. And I think Emmick Robertson is a guy who is not going to be one of the first corners taken. It is not a name that you're hearing a lot of, but could be like a third or fourth round pick kind of player who could be a major contributor for somebody. So it's Amik Robertson. And I know because I've been – he was one of my favorite prospects coming out of high school. Now, I, I, regrettably, we didn't make him a four-star. He was a high three-star, but he was one of the higher-rated guys in Louisiana Tech's class. And, um, and my, my first exposure to him happened at – I've told this story, I feel like, before. Um, so I hope I haven't already told it on this, this podcast. But he was a – I was at a seven-on-seven seven event. It was like in January. It was like an all-star seven-on-seven tryout. So it was like four-star receivers, like big names, guys with LSU offers, all these. And Amik Robertson was the best player there. All right? He balled out. He was he was taking more reps than anyone. He was uh, like scrappy, competitive, athletic. So I – came away and like, you know, he had like no offers. I was like, man, who is this kid, man? He's awesome. And he had a lot of Tyron Matthew. I may have even tweeted like this guy's got a lot of honey badger in him after the event. Come to find out like a couple days later, I found out he was playing the entire event on a torn ACL and, and knew he had a torn ACL. He just wanted to compete. And I think he actually ended up getting surgery and missing part of his senior season, which again, didn't give us the opportunity to maybe rank him quite as high as, as we would have, Otherwise, but he's really small, so like it was still going to be a, a, a reach uh, of the imagination to try to rank him really high, but he is awesome, and he's been awesome from day one at Louisiana Tech, and that sort of demeanor and mentality is part of what's, what makes him so awesome. It's just this fearlessness about him, and the only thing I, I would say in terms of, because from your breakdown of him, Tom, is... You know, if he's going to be a nickel corner, the only negative to him is he's never he's never really played nickel corner. He he was purely a perimeter corner mm-hmm. his entire career at Louisiana Tech. But I agree. I think he is he's one of these guys. Like I don't I don't know where he gets drafted, but so I don't know what the value is for him. But I I just really think he's going to be a a starter and a really good starter for a long time. Barton, what about you? Who are some of your favorites? Oh gosh. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I think like one of the guys I'm probably most interested in as he relates to sort of the sleeper label is 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 a guy that I pulled right out of that well in Starkville, Mississippi. Uh, Willie Gay Jr. Like, keep in mind, like everyone's talking about Isaiah Simmons and what a freak show he is, and what he did at the NFL Combine, and so much so that now he's starting to be perceived even not even as a linebacker, but really just purely as a safety. Willie Gay's Combine was every bit as athletic in terms of just the numbers as Isaiah Simmons. And he only played five games this year. It, we've, it's, it's well documented on this pod, the difference between the games he played and the games he didn't. Now, granted, he also had you know a couple other guys that were playing – and and not uh, during this, those same games, so that helps the numbers. But I mean, it was like a, it's literally like a fifteen point difference in terms of average points per game 
uh, allowed when Willie Gay was playing when he wasn't. So I just think he is he's extremely talented. He's one of the most athletic, maybe the most athletic linebacker in this draft class. And he's just a little bit under the radar because he hadn't been played a lot this year. So I, I think I think Willie Gay is a is a prospect to to sort of keep an eye on. Um, just I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by this dude Kyle Duggar out of Lenore Ryan, uh, which is what D two NAIA or something. Yeah, but it's yeah. a great uh, NAIA program. Yeah, uh, he's he's pretty dang athletic, man. And he plays, he, he returns kicks. He, he sort of does everything you can do on a football field for his, for, for in college, which, you know, you would expect, I guess, but his athleticism is off the charts. He's big. And I, I just think this is the type of kid that comes out of nowhere. And, and I'd be, I'd be tempted by, uh, and if, if I needed a safety early, would you take him before you took Grant Delpit? It pains me to – oh, gosh, man. I Look, I, I've watched like the highlights of this kid, right? So I haven't, I haven't broken down and studied the film extensively. But I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Wow. See, I'm – And I like Delpit. And, and, I'm, and I'm rooting for Delpit to go in the first round because I was high on Delpit coming out of high school. But I, I don't – a little bit of door number two mystery has me just sort of liking the Duggar kid. I've turned into the biggest Grant Delpit apologist because it, there's like the, the common line that I'm seeing in the last scouting reports is really criticizing some of his play last season, uh, some of his tackling last season when he was playing hurt for most of the season, when he was playing out of position, like as a, a need you know, Dave Aranda talked about it heading into the Peach Bowl and the national championship in terms of, you know, what was the, what were the things that led to LSU's defense really turning a corner at the end of the season, you know, totally stuffing out Texas A&M, Georgia, uh, Oklahoma, and then helping hand Trevor Lawrence one of his worst games. And he mentioned that in the team getting healthy and in Grant Delpit getting healthy specifically, they were able to move some things around schematically and free Delpit up to be able to go and, and do some of his stuff. Like he was playing a little bit out of position and he was playing hurt. And so the, the flash the instincts, the the hard hitting, the like smart plays, just the way that Delpit just burst on the scene as a freshman and as a sophomore. Like I, I can't, I can't let all that just get erased by some a little bit of a step back in production and a little bit of a step back uh, in the way he was playing. And you know, weirdly enough, he also was the Thorpe Award winner. And I will like, I can admit that his 2019 season was not his best season. So it's interesting that he also you know, ended up winning an award as the best defensive back in the country. But, you know, that's I'm, I don't know if I voted on that award. I don't think I did. But I still feel like Grant Delpit is getting knocked down. He's getting pushed below Xavier McKinney. He's getting uh, sort of continuously like pushed behind Jeremy Chin, pushed behind Duggar. Like, I, I think that passing on a talent like Grant Delpit, who – fully healthy probably deserves a top 15 top 10 consideration i think that that's going to be one of the biggest mistakes of this draft i think that's i, a, I think that's a good that's a good reminder that's a good that's a good thought there chip i appreciate the perspective there <laughs> yeah i would i would take delpit before any other safety in this draft 
right. Maybe you guys have maybe you guys have already convinced me to get back on my Delta train. Yeah, yeah I mean you caping hard. Yeah, you were there early, Barton. Don't like don't leave. Don't sell the stock now. Yeah. yeah. No, this he's, he's not oil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any storage units, Tom? Because I think that uh some people are looking to store some barrels. Seriously, get at me in the DMs. I will give you ninety nine cents for every barrel. <laughs> Uh, I was going through our, I believe that, uh, you know, like a player like uh, his LSU teammate, Clyde Edwards, Elayer, if you want to jump on that as one of the top running backs, I think that I would understand it, but also Clyde Edwards, Elayer, not totally, uh, perfect. Like compared to Deandre Swift, I think Deandre Swift was a little more consistent across his three year career. Clyde Edwards, Elayer, had some fumbling issues and the way he finished the season was tremendous. And the one thing that I wrote about, uh, Edward Zelayer is that I, I really liked his situational awareness. Feels like he got so many first downs on third downs during LSU's championship run. A lot of good, uh, awareness of where the sticks are and were. Let's see. I also had, uh, you know, I, I feel like the, the Denzel Mims excitement is probably warranted but I think I've got him behind Michael Pittman. And I feel like Michael Pittman is definitely being overlooked in the deep group of wide receivers. And then when it comes to offensive line, I really don't see, I understand offensive line is a need, but you know, I like Andrew Thomas. I am uh, a little like Jedrick Wills seems fine. Also shout out to, you know, him being a right tackle. Guess what? That is the blind side when your quarterback's left-handed. Um, and then I don't know, man. I just, I feel like this offensive line class in general, I've not been real excited about any one of them. And as we're trying to look at the top 30, top 40 prospects, I would almost rather take another one of these awesome defensive linemen or one of these wide receivers just on the best player available kind of play. I can get, I I understand. I don't think there's like a surefire offensive tackle in this draft, but I do think there are four guys who are NFL starters. Maybe they're not, you know, top 10 NFL starters at their positions. But I think, you know, Wills, Wirfs, Thomas, and Becton are the clear-cut four guys that you want who will be starters in the NFL. And after that, I think there's a major drop-off. So I think that is kind of inflating their value just as far as draft-worthiness because, you know, there are, there are never a shortage of teams in the NFL who need tack- offensive tackles. So those guys become more valuable because of that. I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be – Another another one that's very much about you know how modern are you offensively because he's got some Alvin Kamara in him in terms of just usage, the yeah. different ways you can use him and, and productivity. In fact, it was funny. Uh, I think it was Seth Galina who's one of these guys who's on Twitter that breaks down film and and I want to say that was who was, posted some tweet some some like basically all of um a, a lot of these Drew Brees throws. To, to Alvin Kamara um, on these like weak side choice routes that they run with them. And it's and I didn't even make the connection initially, but it just looks exactly like Clyde Edwards Lair, like how LSU used him. And so it's it's if you're willing to use Clyde Edwards Lair, and obviously, you know, I, I then I made the connection, oh well they LSU pulled that offense from the Saints. Um, but if you're willing to use Clyde Edwards Lair in that pass game like that, or if you have a, a system that's that's is that does utilize the back in that way. I mean, he would be, God, he'd be so dangerous. Um, 
and I actually uh, he's more than, like I've actually talked to NFL scouts that think he's actually better fit for a power running team as a back as a, as a ball carrier in terms of just his movements and so and and so I think he's probably a little bit undervalued in terms of just being able to be a running back in the league and not just some sort of nifty gimmick back that can catch the ball out of the backfield. Can I, can I talk about my running back? I think is overrated. Is it Jonathan Taylor? Yep. Oh, I can't believe I got it. Nice. Yeah, no, I just, I mean, I think Jonathan Taylor has some elite skills, particularly straight line speed. If, if he gets into the open field and gets into the second level, you're not going to catch him and he can break tackles. There's a lot to like about Jonathan Taylor. It's just, I feel like watching him throughout his career at Wisconsin, if the hole wasn't where it was supposed to be, or if it was closed, if the defense closed it, he wasn't going to get much. Like, he's not the kind of guy who's going to be shifting and making plays happen on his own. I don't, I've, I kind of question his vision just as a running back. And to me, that is a huge factor for being a running back because in the NFL, you're not running behind Wisconsin's line against Purdue every week. You know what I mean? The, yeah. the hole is usually not where it is supposed to be. It is up to you to find it and not just find it, but get to it quickly because it won't be open for very long. So I have concerns about Taylor's ability to do that. Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins, the forgotten backs, Big Ten college legends, holding mm-hmm. down the uh, – holding down the Ron Dane running back of the year award for uh, the last multiple years. But I, I liked JK Dobbins a ton in college as we're looking at this, uh, the NFL draft. Like I think that JK Dobbins is probably a great player to draft, but compared to his peers at the running back position and compared to the rest of the prospects that are out there. Whew. And no, I try to, I try to champion running backs when, uh, when they're there, but if it, that is another like separation where when I'm trying to make the argument that we might have a unique perspective from covering these guys in college, that does not mean that college production equals, I think that you're good. You can be a very productive college player while at the same time, um, not not being someone that I would advise as a, a prospect whose trajectory is on the rise or who would be worth a first round draft pick. See, I like Dobbins because I think he has precisely what I don't think Taylor has. I think he has very good vision and has shown throughout his career. He could find the whole I mean, because they run like Ohio state ran so much like wide and outside zone, outside zone type of stuff. And I think he did a great job with it. So I think that if you get him in the right offense, I think Dobbins has a chance to be a pretty good NFL player. And I also like that he's not a great pass blocker, but he's willing. And I think sometimes that's that's half the battle, just being willing to throw your body in front of a guy to slow him down for a fraction of a second at the NFL sometimes makes a huge difference. Now, do you guys want my super hot take? Yeah. You're saving right. the hot take for the back end of the pod? It's a reward for the people who stuck around and listened. Ah, there you go. A little little carrot at the end of the road. This is why you want to listen to the whole episode, folks. Here's my hot take. Javon Kinlaw will be a better NFL player than Derek Brown. I don't hate that. I can see it. I just don't think Derek Brown is ever going to be a disruptive player as far as 
pass rush. I think that he'll be great stopping the run and he'll put some pressure on you from the middle. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that gets to the quarterback and he's probably going to be a top 10 pick. And I don't think that that's the kind of guy I want with the top 10 pick. Whereas Kinlaw, I think that, you know, it's funny in college, he had like Brown had the production in college and Kinlaw didn't. But I think Kinlaw is just kind of scratching the surface of what he can be. And the more I've watched him in the last whatever weeks it's been as I've been doing all my mock drafts in preparation for it, that is a guy that, to me, I think is going to take his game to another level in the NFL. And I think that when he's on a unit with some maybe better talent around him, because I don't think South Carolina's defensive line was all that great overall. I think Kinlaw was by far the best player on it. And I think that's a guy who is going to be a disruptive force in both the run game and the pass game. So I think he's going to be the better player in the NFL. My, well, Kinlaw, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, Kinlaw, when you watch South Carolina, he would destroy the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. and blow up the guy blocking him and and disrupt the pulling guard and like – just create chaos and does everything and and then he wouldn't you know and then like someone else would get the tackle uh-huh. or it would just be a three-yard gain instead of a 10-yard gain or whatever so like yeah I, I i think he is a lot better than whatever his stats were just because he's just a you can't miss him when you turn on south carolina and he's so quick off the ball just he is in the guard's ass like <laughs> before the snap has really hit the quarterback's hands it's it's fun to watch Derek Brown did go head to head against Lloyd Cushenberry and the interior, a very good interior LSU offensive line when Auburn trotted out just three defense down defensive linemen. And while they weren't really sacking Joe Burrow, they were all up in his face and moving him off his spot all throughout that game. Yeah, but he's also lined up next to like Marlon Davidson and Nick Coe. And it's like, who are the other name? Name the other South Carolina defensive linemen. Go. Uh, Will Muschamp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you see my point? Derek yeah, yeah, Brown yeah. had a lot of help on that line that I don't think Kinlaw had quite as much of. I think Kinlaw was doing the dirty work to help everybody else out. I am a Javon Kinlaw fan, and it makes me uh, bummed when people try and hit him with like a, a a character question, you know, or the RFs and the like it basically not giving him a chance to overcome what has been just like a a, a really t- like I don't like the term Hollywood story I think it's been a really tough story for him that's included uh homelessness that's included you know parts of his family that have been uh influences that would stray you away from a productive college football career and pro football career and he's definitely just scratching the surface and i think he even knows that he is only going to continue to improve i am a javon kinlaw fan i don't think javon kinlaw javon kinlaw greater than Derek brown might be a hot take but i don't know if anybody is out here right now unimpressed with javon kinlaw or cons- not considering him a first round pick I think he might be a top 10 pick to the surprise of many. Do you think he'll go to the Panthers? No, I think that, but I, I, I he could, but I, th- I think it's going to depend on how things work out, but I wouldn't be surprised if Kinlaw goes to like the Jaguars, if the Jags stay at nine. Mm. Uh, Barton, any, uh, any final takes or questions before we, uh, we pass on this wonderful draft class to our NFL friends? Um, no, no. I mean, we should, I, I think our, our post draft breakdown. I'll have I'll have a lot of thoughts at this point. There's just a 
There's just, just a lot of names that I could. I, I mean, I could go in a lot of different directions. I, I, I have no direction at this point. So, give give me the picks, and then let me decide what I think about them. All right. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Finelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Kinlaw for life. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.